Welcome to the Stress Me Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Miller, and I'm delighted that you're here. Today, we're going to talk about finding your mindfulness story. As we begin, I want to reiterate why I bring up mindfulness and meditation so frequently. As we've talked about before, there are generally two ways to navigate stress. One is to change the stress itself, and the other way is to change our resilience to it, to adapt and evolve in a way that allows us to manage the stress with more ease, or at least more neutrality if ease isn't an option. One of the reasons that mindfulness and meditation are such great tools is that they can help us with both. And that they give us clarity regarding how we might change the stress. And then they help us build resilience internally in terms of the way we consider ourselves and our capacity. And the way we're able to problem solve and brainstorm and utilize the resources at hand to meet the stresses that we face. So in this way, mindfulness and meditation are kind of like a two for one. You practice the one skill and you receive assistance and support with both aspects of stress management and stress resilience. So back to your mindfulness story. The reason that it's helpful to have a story is because frequently mindfulness and meditation can feel kind of foreign. And if they're foreign, they're not actually helping your nervous system to settle down if they're making you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so when we can come up with a story that's a representation for mindfulness that our mind and body are already familiar with, it doesn't have the same level of discomfort. And mindfulness and meditation can become something that's as familiar as walking down the street or swimming in a pool. And so especially for children, this idea of coming up with a mindfulness story that resonates with you, that's familiar and works for you, is really helpful because we can start to include threads of mindfulness in our dialogue in a in a way that's sustainable and comfortable for all involved. Initially, when people come to mindfulness practice and they start learning about different meditations and different mindfulness tools, it can feel overwhelming because there are a lot. One of the reasons there are a lot is because different stories and different tools resonate with different people. And so by uh, presenting a variety of tools to people, they have the opportunity to pick and choose which ones work well for them in their personal life, in their family life, or wherever they'd like to use them. So today I'm just going to talk about a few tools. Some of them are tools that I have spoken about before, and some of them are ones that I haven't talked about before on the podcast. But as you come across different tools, it can be helpful to just note the ones that you really feel comfortable with. That's the measure. I feel comfortable with that. It makes sense to me. I would know how to use that. And so as we're trying to come up with some sort of narrative around what is going on in your brain, my brain, whosoever brain, we are wanting something that is easy to use, familiar in every day, and that you feel a level of comfort with. So the benefit of this also is that as you begin to be comfortable with the analogy, you can start to use it in more flexible ways. So initially, it's going to look like you just kind of practicing it and trying to apply it. And eventually it's going to look like you being able to dive deep 
and applied in different scenarios. So I'm going to give you again a few stories and then just a few scenarios with which you could practice it. So the first story is the Thought River. And this is one that I use all the time. It's one of the first ways I was introduced to mindfulness. And it's helped me a lot with anxiety. It's helped me a lot in times when I felt overwhelmed emotionally. Maybe that's with um, grief or frustration, anger. And the idea of the Thought River is that you are sitting on the bank of a river. And the thoughts that are moving through your mind are things that are floating on the river. Now, the river sometimes is moving pretty fast during times when our mind is kind of frantic. And then there are other times the river is just kind of slowly moving along. When we see the things floating down the river, it's our role and responsibility as the owner of a brain to choose which ones we want to pull out of the river and which ones we want to just let float by. Frequently, what ends up happening is we end up getting a little bit drowned in the river itself. We are just awash in our thoughts, and we don't actually realize that we can observe them. By utilizing this story of a thought river, we can imagine ourselves in just this rush of thoughts in our brain, from which we're just getting clobbered, like knocked around like you would in a a river with a lot of rapids and there's rocks and then there's people bumping along on the river and sticks and twigs floating down. All those things are just kind of like battering us if we're swimming in the river. But when we choose to step out of the river and we kind of walk to the shore and start to observe what's going on in our brain, there's a a level of comfort and um, relaxation that comes just from getting out of the rapids, right? Like that's the first step. You just walk out of it and things feel like, whew, okay, I'm not, I don't have to be awash in all the thoughts in my brain. I am not the thoughts in my brain because we all actually think that we are the thoughts in our brain. So that's the first step of the thought river is just choosing and realizing that you can walk out of the river. So then as you sit on the shore, you start to practice this idea of discernment and you decide what you're going to pull from the river and what you're going to let float by. Now, initially, the rivers of our brains are pretty polluted. And so as we're starting this practice, what we're going to notice is there is a lot of junk floating by on that river. And sometimes when people first start the practice of mindfulness and step out of the river, they become aware in a new way. And so they think, oh my gosh, I never, this never happened until I started practicing mindfulness or meditation. But what actually happens is that's what's going on in your brain all the time. You just got aware of it. And so when we start to notice all the junk that's floating down the river, we can start to realize that a lot of times the thoughts that we are perpetuating or believing are not actually serving us. So if those are thoughts around our ability level, um, like I can't do this, I'm never going to be able to measure up, I'm not worth it, Um, I'm never going to be enough, this isn't going to work, I'm just not cut out for this. A lot of times that's the kind of stuff floating by the river. And the tendency that we have as people, um, adults and kids alike, is to wade in and pull those thoughts out of the river. And that's not actually uh, productive. It's not serving us to carry those thoughts around with us all day. Another thing that happens when we start to watch the river is we see thoughts that are kind of um, alarming to us, things that are scary 
we, and some of us don't, don't pay attention to our thoughts for that reason, right? Like if we're having intrusive thoughts or if there are things that just are plain scary in our brain, those are all, um, tendencies that we have as humans. And so one of the people that first taught this described it as, um, the going in and dragging a dead pig out of the river. If we ruminate on those thoughts, if we get stressed about them and cycle through them, it's kind of like pulling something awful and gross out of the river and then wanting to strap it to your back and carry it around with you all day. It's not going to serve you. So letting a lot of times just letting those thoughts float by without trying to shove them out of the river or not trying to like pick them up and go put them in a different river, um, just letting them go, letting them float by. And then another thing that can happen when we start to um, identify with ourselves on the edge of the thought river is we notice how frequently we want to go climb back in it and swim. Like there, there initially, as we begin the practice, there are a lot of moments where we're sitting on the edge of the river and we're kind of watching it. We're like, okay, watching my thoughts, watching my thoughts. And then before we know it, we're soaking wet and drowning in the thoughts again, which is also a super normal practice. So part of learning to meditate and be more mindful is learning to walk out of the river and to keep walking out of the river and like realize you're wet, realize you're drowning, come out of the river and sit down and just become the watcher again. Um, One of the teachers that I've taken mindfulness classes from, she calls it open monitoring, just noticing what's coming down the river and just noticing it. And then on the times when there are something you want to take action on, taking the action but mostly just watching because most of the stuff that goes on in our brain, it just is going to float by and there's not any need to do anything with it. And it's not something that we necessarily need to act on or make a part of us. So that's the thought river. Like I said, that's come in handy for me in terms of anxiety. Um, for grief, it's super helpful because for grief, um, I can have a tendency to get lost in it and to feel like I'm drowning in it. And so reminding myself to come out of the river and I'm not denying the grief. I'm not, um, yeah, I'm acknowledging it and letting it be. It's there in the river, you know, whatever's floating past, but I'm not, um, letting it pull me under. So this can also be useful for kids when they're nervous at night, like going to bed or if they're nervous before a test. Um, the thought river is one that I use with kids a lot. And we just say like, okay, let it float down your thought river. Can you let that float down your thought river? Oh, that sounds like one you need to let float down your thought river. And kids are really attuned to using story anyway. And so they can grasp onto these ideas. And once they're presented with them consistently, um, they're able to connect with them and utilize them. So even just something as simple as saying, let that float down your thought river our thoughts are like a river and a lot of times we're swimming in the river and instead we can sit on the side of the river and watch. Let's let that thought float down the river. You know, that's a simple phrase. You can use it even if you don't understand mindfulness and meditation completely. You can apply that story, right, to a situation with kids and kind of start to practice this dialogue. Practice weaving this thread of mindfulness into your family life, into your personal life, into relational um, life. And so another story that I wanted to share today is Pima Chodron. She says, you are the sky. Everything else is just the weather. And so this is one too that as uh, adults or children is can be really helpful to utilize because we're all familiar with the sky, right? 
this expansive, beautiful sky. And it holds a lot of different things, right? It holds light, it holds dark, it holds storms, wind, it holds um, snowstorm, you know, the storms can worsen and deepen. And then it holds those bright sunny days that you just want to soak up. It holds beautiful clouds just lazily going through the sky. And so if you can think of yourself as the sky and then whatever is coming across the sky as your thoughts or your emotions. So you are the constant, the space where all those things are held, right? You're the space where emotions come and go. You're the space where thoughts come and go. And the sky is consistently changing, right? Just like our minds are consistently changing. There's always something different coming through, always moving, like there's a there's a flow to it. And so in this instance, it can be really helpful to utilize this one for, for kids in terms of emotion, because you can connect them with the idea of a storm and how it's stormy outside. And when it's stormy outside, how do you feel? Like, can you connect? Do you feel that way inside? Are you feeling stormy inside right now? Um, are you feeling like a bright sunny day inside right now? But then helping them realize that those things come and go just like yesterday it was raining and just like today it's sunny um, and that it's normal and that as you just move through life, you can recognize that you are okay as a backdrop of all of those thoughts and emotions that come through. So this one also is helpful, I think, for adults in emotion because it gives them the space to kind of connect with whatever state they're in right now. There's a ready um, application in terms of weather. And so this one is super helpful, especially for emotions. Another one that I've heard that's really beautiful is the idea of people walking by you on the street um, or you driving in a car. So imagine yourself on the streets of New York City where there are a lot of people walking a lot of the time, right? And if you tried to make eye contact and wave and chat with every single one of those people as they walked by you, you wouldn't really get anywhere, right? And it's similar in our minds. If we try to stop and connect with every single thought or if we relate to and internalize every single thought that we have, we wind up getting it stressful, right? Because we're just kind of flitting around. We're not really moving anywhere because we're kind of just stuck with whatever's coming at us. So just like if you were trying to have a conversation with every single person that passed you by on a busy street in New York City, you would feel a little stuck because the people would just keep coming and you would just be there and you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. Same thing in a car. The way you can explain it to kids in the car is that, um, like imagine if you were trying to make eye contact, look the person that's driving, um, in the opposite direction from us. Imagine if you were trying to look at every single one of them in the eyes. Um, and on a busy street, that's a really daunting task, right? And so that's kind of like what it is when we are trying to just be in every thought. If we think we are the thought and if we're really associating ourselves with whatever emotion comes by, whatever thought comes to our brain, it's like trying to make eye contact with every person that passes us on the street. And frequently we can be okay when people are just like passing us by, right? We can be fine when there are people that are just walking in the opposite direction and maybe we brush shoulders with them. Maybe we, you know, make eye contact, but 
we don't need to chat and have a conversation with every one of them, right? Because they're just passing by. So in terms of our thoughts, that's a consistent experience that we all have of someone walking past us in the opposite direction that we can uh, connect with in terms of story, right? So that's a story, a lived experience that we can tune into to then describe the process of mindfulness in a way that's accessible and easy. So if you consider your thoughts like the people passing by on the street and you can have as much nonchalance or as much ease letting your thoughts pass by as you would just another person passing by you on the street, then uh, that's a good way to look at it. I'll share one more. I have a ton of these and I love them. And I love helping families figure out how to create their own mindfulness story. It's a really fun thing when you start to see people connect with it and then use the dialogue in their own space because um, it does flourish. And then the other people have ideas around it and spin off and understand it deeper. And the whole family can kind of latch on to it. But this last one is that you consider your house with your back door and your front door open. And you're going to allow the thoughts to come through and enter in the front and leave through the back. And they're welcome to come in, but you're not going to invite them to tea. So you're not going to invite them to sit down with you. You're not going to invite them to stay. Just leaving your house open. And kids can connect with this too, right? You can even do this activity with kids where they open the front door and open the back door and then just kind of like see how the air flows through the house. And then um, if we try to stop our thoughts and if we try to like just really stomp them out, it's kind of like when you close one of the doors, right? And the air doesn't flow the same way. Or if we try to like invite it into a room and keep it over there, it can't flow out the same way. So if we get stuck on a thought, take it. If we're worried about a test and we start thinking about how, oh, if I do bad on this test, then I'm going to fail this class and then I'm not going to do good this semester. And then my mom or dad is going to be mad. And then, you know, like it just, it goes to town. So if you start taking the thought and like walking it down the hall and putting it, giving it a place in your life, then it's going to, um, stick, right? But if you can just acknowledge like, oh, there's a potential that I could do, you know, get a bad grade on this test and probably won't happen because I've studied a lot and let that thought go. But especially for kids, those kinds of thoughts, those can be so scary. And so again, giving kids this uh, story or dialogue that they can engage with when they have thoughts like that, it's so empowering, especially when we make it these everyday type of situations that they can relate to, because then we just allow them a narrative. We give them the words they need in order to do what they need to do to let thoughts go. And so next time you're with your child and they're worried about something or if you're feeling emotionally like you have more than what you can manage, try one of these stories and just connect with it in a way that makes sense to you. Beyond that, which is what I'm always encouraging you to do, is try just sitting with these stories in a time when you feel a level of comfort. Like the best time to practice mindfulness is when you don't need it. So then it's there when you do. So if you can connect with uh, one of those stories, just like on a happy moment or on a moment when you're surprised or an emotion that's not necessarily uncomfortable, but maybe just you're really aware of, um, those can be times when you're able to practice the narrative and practice the story and understand how it feels like and develop your comfort level with it before the times when you really need it, which is those moments when you might feel overwhelmed and your thoughts might be scattered, frantic, or anxious 
or when you might have emotions that feel bigger than what you can navigate. So let me know which story resonates best for you. Until next time. Mm-hmm.